Hello, everyone. I'm here speaking with Dorothy Walters. Uh, Dorothy is the author of Unmasking the Rose, which is a record of her uh, Kundalini initiation. Uh, after experiencing an awakening of Kundalini, has spent her life dedicated to helping the transformation of others. And she's also a poet uh, with a book of poetry out. Um, what's the name of your, your poetry book? Uh, Jeff, actually, I've published four books of poetry. Four books of poetry now? Oh, yes. Okay. And I'm getting ready to publish uh, yet another one, which will be the selected poems. But the the first book I wrote was called Marrow of Flame, and that seems okay. to be the one that people know about and has been most uh, 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 has affected people most deeply. I see. That's the one that I was aware of. Yeah. Um, and then I have a blog site, uh, Kundalini Splendor dot um, blog blog dot com. And if people would go there, it lists all of the titles on the right-hand side. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. And and so maybe for the benefit of people who don't know you, uh, I would ask you to say a little bit about, you know, how you came to be initiated uh, in the path of Kundalini and, you know, maybe give us a little insight about who you were before that, the experience that brought you to that path, and, you know, how it shaped your life afterward. Mine was a very unusual experience. Uh, Of course, all spiritual journeys are unusual experiences, I have discovered. Everyone is on a unique path. Mine was a very sudden awakening, a very spontaneous awakening, something I was, I would say, almost virtually totally unprepared for. I had... Uh, to that time, I had a Ph.D. in English. I had been a professor of English and American literature, as well as women's studies in uh, Midwestern universities. And um, <clears throat> I loved that work. I loved uh, women's studies. And um, I had, among others, I had, I had but I'd had, a, uh, because I had a Ph.D. in Western literature, I had a deep exposure to what I'd call many of the wisdom writers of the West, I'm thinking of writers like Dante and um, um, Shakespeare and Milton and and mm. such. And although it was those writers don't focus on the spiritual journey as we think of it now, there is vast wisdom to be gained from uh, encountering uh, those wise people. So that was my background. I was simply an English teacher in Kansas. I had never heard of Kundalini. I mean, I'd heard of it, but I had vague, vague knowledge of what it was. I didn't know a thing about meditation or yoga or any such thing, uh, and nor did I know anybody who was into all of that. In 1981, I was 53 years old. At that time, Kundalini itself was very, very new in the West, including the United States. And, uh, you know, Jung at that time had predicted that Kundalini would not be known in the West for another generation. And I think he was right, because I did not know a single person who had even heard of Kundalini, if you can believe it. So the circumstances for me were quite extraordinary, and it occurred in this way. I had been in a long-term relationship, and that relationship was literally falling apart, I thought. 
and I was totally devastated because it was it just shook my whole world. It was one of those uh, experiences where it seems like the earth opens up and is about to swallow you. So I was very uh, disconcerted. And at that time, because of that, my energies, uh, looking back, I would say my energies were very loose and very shaken up. So one morning I happened to be reading a book. It was written by uh, a writer called William Thompson, who was known as a futurist, and who wrote on world mythology, but also knew a great deal about Eastern philosophy. And in that book, he mentioned Kundalini. And I didn't quite know what that was. But he said that you could bring it up simply by, it, it should come up, and it was supposed to rise into the crown and open the crown, and then go back down, and then go up again, up the spine and down. And I thought for some strange reason that I still do not fathom, I thought to myself, well, I can do that. That doesn't sound so hard. <laughs> Little did I know. Uh, so I simply uh, quietly sat there and focused on bringing the en- en- energies up. Before I knew it, I had a great ball of warm energy uh, in my lower chakras, and I thought, aha, that's the first step. Now I have to bring it up. So I concentrated and did, simply did, did very simple breathe, deep breathing. And before I knew it, that ball of warm energy from my lower chakras literally, literally shot into my head. My crown opened, and I felt the beautiful effulgent energies of the cosmos flow in. And I did have a realization. I, I, it was a very ecstatic experience. Very extremely, almost indescribably blissful. And I did have uh, one huge insight at that time, and I realized what I think I had read before but never fully grasped, which is actually we only exist as one small, tiny particle in this vast ocean of cosmic energy. In fact, we don't exist at all. We are a myth that we have made up ourselves that we tell each other what is real is that energetic source, source, and we are like one little atom, tiny little atom or molecule in the body of this great essence, whatever it is. And uh, then it occurred to me, although I was still in a state of rapture, that I probably didn't know quite what I was doing and I'd better bring that down, and I did. And then later times I would try to bring it up again. And it wasn't always successful, and sometimes it was more painful than pleasurable. But I was thrown into a state of total rapture, and that rapture, the rapture itself, returned day after day, week after week. Um, I was went into a kind of inner trance state, and in that trance state, I literally went through an initiation process, which was first of all Tibetan Buddhism. And he had, this writer, Thompson, had mentioned that you held the Vajra in a bell, and I did. I found the equivalents of those in my house. And so I underwent a Buddhist initiation. Later on, I found out I had actually mimicked and followed through on the, um, what is called the first level Buddhist initiation. And I had done all the stages in one form or another, just intuitively, except one. And one, the last one was identification with the guru. Well, of course, I didn't have a guru, so I couldn't identify with anyone. And um, 
it was also a yogic initiation. I know because a few days after that, although I'd never done yoga, I thought I'll, I'm going to experiment and see what yoga is about. I found a little book that my mother had bought at the grocery store for 50 cents. It had pictures of the asanas. And so I did my best to imitate those postures. The first thing I did, actually, I was seated in a, in a, in a tailored position, and I lifted my arm up and I felt absolute rapture flood through my arm. I lifted the other arm up. I felt absolute rapture flood through my arm. Uh, and I thought to myself, oh, well, oh, why? No wonder. Well, no wonder people do this. It's so easy. <laughs> and, of course, that that response has not maintained itself through the years. But that was my uh, my introduction to yoga. I thought it was something you did through movements that awakened rapture in your subtle body and therefore in your body. So that was how my journey began. Now, it has gone on for over 30 years. As the years have gone by, it's gotten... At first, it was very intense and virtually all the time. It's become less frequent, much less frequent. The intensity has diminished, you know, vastly over the years. I still get little tastes of it now and again, but it's very soft, it's very gentle, it's very sweet, it's still very mm. lovely, and I think it's still kundalini. But it has, you know, I went through long periods of integration, what I call the ups and downs, sometimes rapture, sometimes pain, because kundalini will go through your body. And if you do have flaws, weaknesses uh, uh, there, it will urge you, it will insist, it will pain you, it will bring your attention to whatever is needed, and you will have to correct that or find a way to correct it before it to go on. And then it will give you some rest for a while, and then it will come back and work on you through again. And I think it has transformed my nervous system. I think the mm. system I have now is nothing like what I had before. I think the awareness I have now, and of course I've been fascinated by Eastern literature ever since this occurred, uh, but the awareness I have is immeasurable. It was like the... Uh, what they say, the uh, you know the eyes finally opened to a deeper reality and a deeper truth, and so I am, I'm, I feel that I'm totally transformed in terms of knowing, in terms of feeling, in terms of being, and I feel that this is the state that we're all headed for. I, I strongly believe in the divin, what they call the divinization of matter. I strongly believe that we're all working in our own ways, in our own on our own paths, at our own levels, toward transforming ourselves into divine beings. And that is what I think of as transformation of consciousness. Mm, beautiful. Well, thank you for that, Dorothy. And and maybe to say a little bit about why I wanted to have this conversation with you, and, and also to say that this is the second time that we've spoken uh, uh -huh. recently. Uh, and uh, my reasoning is that that I spent uh, 20 years living in a spiritual community that was focused on what is traditionally called non-dual awakening. Uh, and That's what and I call kundalini. I, what's that? <laughs> That's what I call kundalini, but go ahead. Okay. It's about as <laughs> well, non-dual as you why I'm yeah, talking to you. Go ahead. Because Sorry. I also had experiences of 
uh, you know, very one time for sure, a very classic Kundalini awakening experience. And mm-hmm. I always wondered about what did that mean and why did I have that and was it different from uh, non-duality and um, and the the path that I was following the fundamental instruction that one gets is that you know in the meditation practice that I was doing you just let the uh whatever spiritual experiences occur you just let them be and you know you don't get involved with them so it's really a practice a very a, a deep practice of detachment uh mm-hmm. and so things would I would have all kinds of experiences but I would just let them happen and go and uh, you know, they were thrilling when they happened, but the the path I was on said that they should be let go of, so I let them go. And and yet, more recently, I started to question, and that's why I contacted you. Uh, and what I became aware of is that I've always, even when I've taught meditation, I have taught in a way where I was trying, sometimes gracefully, sometimes not so, to embrace what feels like two different aspects of my experience. Uh, And that's really the main thing I wanted to talk with you uh, about today. And so let me explain a little. There was one time in particular that I just mentioned when I was on a long meditation retreat and I was having lots of experiences of all different kinds. Uh, And one in particular was in, in the middle of one evening, I woke up and I felt a tremendous pain at the base of my spine. Mm -hmm. And I got out of bed and I started walking around and I was rubbing the area that hurt and wondering what I had done to myself. And at some point I sat down and as soon as I sat down, uh, this blinding white light shot from the base of my spine through the top of my head and there was almost a sensation of roaring, or at least that's what I remember, that it sort of roared through my system. And it just lasted for a a brief time, uh, but it was so blinding that I thought it was in the room, so I closed my eyes. But when I closed my eyes, it didn't get any less bright, so I knew that it was happening, you know, inside of me, not outside. And and then it ended, and I was sitting on the bed thinking, oh, my God, I think that was a kundalini awakening. And, and like you, I only knew a little about kundalini at the time and still really only do know a little. Uh, and I continued on. The retreat went on for another 30 days, and I had all kinds of powerful experiences continuing. And, and, and over time, what I have started to to teach people when I teach meditation is I've adopted a language that I call the first surrender and the second surrender of meditation because that matches my experience. And this is specifically what I want to, to have you respond to. The first surrender of meditation, when I speak about it, has to do with just a passive acceptance of what is. It's a complete letting go. It's what I would now, today at least, say, is a kind of non-dual practice where there's complete detachment and letting go and uh, allowing everything to be as it is. My experience is that when I have done that and when I do do that, 
I start, you know, things start to happen. Subtle energies start to move. I feel them in my system in different ways. And, and what I have ha- started to talk about is what I call the second surrender of meditation, which is, which is a kind of alignment or surrender into these subtle energies that feel like they're awakening energies. Um, you know, for instance, sometimes when I sit in meditation, I feel like literally the bone structure of my face is being shifted while I sit. It can be extremely mm. painful. And I even have, at times, gotten up from meditation to look in a mirror because I was certain that I was going to have a different face than when I sat down uh, for the practice. So so that would be one. And another kind of energetic movement that happens is I sometimes get this numbness that, that seems to overtake my whole system. And it feels like I'm while I'm sitting, my body falls asleep even though I'm perfectly awake. Uh, so those are just two examples. And, and as I said, I would have spiritual experiences and I would just not be concerned with them. But now, after having talked with you and read more about Kundalini, I'm starting to feel that maybe what I was, was referring to as the second surrender of meditation, it seems to be very closely aligned with everything I've heard about what it means to experience the movement of Kundalini in your system. And mm-hmm. and I just wanted to hear you respond to that, you know, that, that second surrender particularly and that distinction that I made about my meditation practice. Well, to begin with, I think indeed you, the, the uh, account you just gave us of uh, the light shooting up is indeed a classic Kundalini awakening experience. Now, are you familiar with Gopi Krishna's book, uh, Kundalini, the Evolution of Consciousness? Are you familiar with that? I am familiar with it, yes. You have read it? Because your experience reminds me of his. You know, he talks about liquid light shooting up through his body and out through his head. And... uh, that's that's a kind of classic, and his is considered the definitive the definitive experience. The second thing I would say is, I have never understood. I've I've, I've heard others say this. I've never understood this uh, advice <clears throat> that we mustn't hang on to our experiences. I think they're very precious. And for 15 years, I had no one to guide me or lead me. I had no mentor, no teacher, no, nothing except a few books that I found. So um, I think these experiences are fascinating and uh, very precious, and I don't follow that advice. <laughs> and what is interesting to me is that if you go back into your journals years later, you'll be surprised at what you'll find, because you'll find experiences that you'd forgotten all about. You didn't even remember that they happened. And yet they were quite wondrous at the time, and they're wondrous to read about. To, I, I do write poetry, and I do, it's, it's pretty, the poetry is spontaneous. It's almost like channeled poetry. Mm-hmm. And I will go back sometimes 
and stumble across something I wrote years ago. And I think, golly, you know, that's really a good poem. But I'd forgotten all about it. I like this keeping. I'm kind of Proustian in a sense. I like keeping a detailed account of our journey as we go along. I like, I just think people, particularly people who are alone on this journey, should be encouraged to keep a journal. And uh, that can be their advisor and their guide. I myself believe strongly in the inner teacher or the inner guru. I never had an external figure. So that's been my guiding principle as I've gone along. Um, And I think that you, you definitely have had Kundalini Awakening. I think that particularly when you described the pain at the base of your base of your spine, I immediately thought, oh, that's the kundalini awakening. That's very common because as it stirs, it is at the base, it starts at the base of the spine for most people. And as it occurs, it can be painful. But then you got the release, and that's what it was aiming for. And uh, so I... I think you're already well on your way, frankly. And you talk about, okay, these experiences in meditation. I will confess, I have never heard of anything like the first experience where you felt your facial structure literally being moved about and transfigured so much that you thought if you looked in a mirror, you wouldn't even see your familiar face. So, but anything is possible in Kundalini. Anything at all. People have all sorts of strange and unexpected experiences. And then you talked about feeling the subtle energies move in your body. I think that's a very good sign. I think that indicates an awakening, a, a, a continuing awakening. Uh, it's a, it's a gentle awakening. It sounds to me as though it's proceeding appropriately in a, in a slow fashion. See, I was, I went through a, a sudden, almost a lightning flash of uh, energy, energetic awakening into a, a rapturous state. And that, for many, represents the end of, of the mystical journey. The mystical journey presumably ends in annihilation, total identification, total non-duality, because the, the the person, the human, merges with the beloved within. Now, let me add, I don't think any of us is going to merge, or want to, that I know of, is going to merge totally with the beloved within. But we can have, through our rapturous experience, through our bliss, from my point of view, we're having little glimpses of that. I do not think that this experience brings enlightenment per se, but I do think it offers us a little previews, little glimpses of what is possible. And But I would add, I don't think we want to be annihilated totally into that rapture while we are living on this earth. I don't think that's what most of us are here for. I think in order to do that, we'd have to retire from the world and go live in a cave or the forest or something, as many of the speakers seekers have done over time. So for me, it was almost like I saw the end of, I experienced the end of the journey at the beginning, 
But then at some point, I had to go back. And the metaphor I use is first you went to the top of the mountain and you saw this gorgeous view and you felt wonderful. You thought, oh, this is marvelous. Anybody can do this. And then one day you woke up and you found yourself at the bottom of the mountain. And at that point you have to go back up and you have to repeat the stages. You repeat the path on your hands and knees and you have to go back and you have to deal with those issues because one thing kundalini will do for you it will bring up your issues whether they are psychological emotional physical whatever they are they will be right in your face and right in your Mm. body and you will have to go back and figure out what is going on so for that reason when people ask what they can do to have kundalini, I say the first thing you need to do is to prepare yourself if it should happen. Because I think the certainly for spontaneous awakening, such as I described in, in a way what you have described, is an act of grace. I do not mm-hmm. so I do not think it is possible for us to choose or dictate the terms. I think that I feel that kundalini itself has a kind of consciousness and that it's like it is it or whatever it is is Mm -hmm. observing you they or whatever they are observing you and when the time is ripe it will happen but you can't anticipate that time you don't know it's going to happen you didn't expect it to happen and after it happens you're not sure what happened but you know that something very dramatic has occurred in your life and apparently there are two paths through kundalini and one is the quick path or seemingly quick path that i took but even though it was quick at the time i had to go back and repeat many many steps and then the other is a less and i went through a lot of uh vacillation and change and back and forth it's very difficult to integrate such unfamiliar energies into your system uh, when you're totally uh, have no knowledge of them and the other is a much safer path, and it is a slower path. And it seems to me that's what you are now offering to your followers, your students. And that's much better. Because one of the things I worry about is some gurus will give indis- what I call indiscriminate Shakti pot. And if that Shakti pot awakens intense energies inside a person who is totally unprepared, it can wreak havoc on the system and I've met people who were in terrible shape because their energies their strong energies awakened before their systems their their nervous systems their subtle systems were were even ready and some people have even been institutionalized because it threw their emotional bodies and their psychological selves totally out of whack Uh, other people have had horrendous physical pain uh, it's just, it's, it's Kundalini is a very tricky thing and a very tricky process, and it's like things like let us say electricity. Electricity mm-hmm. is wonderful if it's contained and flows through the right channels, but if it's not contained, if it's too much, if it's too in the right in the wrong situation, it can be a menace. It can be terrible. It can kill, and and Kundalini. That, and I think this is why it is one reason why it has always been such a secret and a cult uh, practice, 
because it is very dangerous. And you're mm-hmm. always advised to find a, 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 an experienced teacher to take you through. Well, my question is, where is that experienced teacher? I certainly didn't find any in Kansas in 1981. Right. <laughs> so, so I, I had to, I had to rely on the inner guru. But I had wonderful direction, I think, from the inside realm. Well, this is, it's very, uh, it's great that you're, you're, you're mentioning what you are about the, the dangers of this. And oh yeah. And of course. The reason I got interested in Kundalini in the first place, and the reason I ultimately called you, because you are, uh, you you know, you may not consider yourself a teacher, but you are the person I called for advice in this domain because I had read your book some years ago. Yeah, thank you. Um, but there was one particular experience that I had fairly recently with, uh, you know, someone who is working with me and we were just doing yoga and when our yoga session ended we did shivasana where you lay flat on your back mm-hmm. and kind of just ground for five minutes and mm-hmm. and while i was laying on my back i had such an intense pain between my shoulder blades it was so bad that i, I actually had to arch my back in order to stay on the ground because it, it was kind of making me want to get up because it hurt so badly mm-hmm. i thought well this is very weird and i just let it be and then Eventually, the five minutes was up. She said, you know, it's amazing. We just did that shavasana, and that's the first time in years that I've been able to lie flat on my back because usually I have this intense pain because of a back injury between my shoulder wow. blades, and I have to arch my back. I just realized that there was some energetic transference happening, and that, that and I like immediately it. felt I don't really know anything about that sort of thing, and it would be really good if I found someone to talk to about it. Well, I can tell you this: when your when your energy body is is open, as yours was at the end of that session, you can def from my experience at least, you can definitely pick up stuff from other people's pain. Your body may mirror what's going on in their body for better or for worse. And I have to be very cautious because I do both. That is to say, sometimes if they're having delightful sensations in their chakras, I'll have the same sensation in my body. But there have definitely been times when I would meet people, let us say, and they would be in a state of pain, say a big headache or something, and pretty well, pretty soon my head would start to, to ache. And that's one of the problems that I know of, but I think you definitely picked up her energetic uh, r- responses. I, I am I'm so sensitive that I can stand in a line at the grocery store or stand with others at the bus stop, and I will begin to pick up what's going on in their energy bodies. And sometimes it's almost embarrassing because I discover things I didn't mean to know. <laughs> and, uh, so... No, I think that that is uh, that is not uncommon. I would say not, and I would say I would think that is what happened with you. You literally, you were open, you were receptive, and you literally picked up uh, this transmission from her energy body. That is definitely how how it felt, and I guess what made me want to speak with you and with someone who. 
had an understanding of Kundalini is because that type of energetic transference exchange wasn't so much, even though I think it was happening in the path that I was in, uh, it wasn't something that we paid a lot of attention to in terms of understanding. And and I realized that, uh, you know, whether you understand it or not or whether you're paying attention to it or not, that kind of energetic movement is, uh, you know, is going to be happening. And yeah, so the, I, think, I think so. I, yeah, so I just started to feel like, well, I need to understand this. Yeah, but, and I know people who say, no, I don't want Kundalini, it's too frightening, you know, and so forth. And for me, I did go through a lot of pain. I did have to go back and deal with uh, psychological issues. And finally, I understood my real problems with my mother. <laughs> Finally, after so many years, um, but uh, but after I got to the more or less to the bottom of what was going on with psychological issues, it was a release, and I, mm. I was very grateful that I finally mm. got it. I finally saw and felt. You know, it's one thing to talk about certain things uh, in your past life, your childhood, maybe, but it's another thing to re-experience them at a very deep level. Right. And so you have to you have to deal with all that, but I'm again I'm I'm and I I am as I believe they call this clairsentient when you are sensitive to the energies of other people, mm-hmm. and I think there are some people who don't who's who don't are not open to that that doesn't bother them, and I've always wondered about energy healers. I always wished I could be an energy healer, but mm-hmm. I realized I could not because I'd probably end up being a basket case myself. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so I have never tried that uh, as much as I wanted to. Um, no, I think I think that would be very typical of people who are going through energetic awakening. And, and I guess um, the other thing that you said that really caught my attention and matches my experience as you said you talked about that that energy having a an intelligence and I think it does I yeah really that's think my it. my experience of you know what I have called or spoken about a second surrender f- for not having other terms to use yeah is when that energy is moving I feel like it's purposeful I feel like it is mm-hmm. it is my attention to places, it's untying knots. That's what I often feel yeah. is this kind of untying knots. Well, in exactly. My That's system. exactly what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm sitting, I mean, you know, although, uh, you know, although it wasn't maybe designed for this purpose, the instructions I had for meditation were to just uh, let everything be as it is. Maybe the one of the benefits of that was when I would feel this untying of knots, which, as I said, was often painful right. uh, in oh, different yeah. ways. But I would just let it be because that was the instruction. And so, mm-hmm. and I would often feel like something was happening. It, it, sometimes it really felt like my, on a, on a cellular level and, and mm-hmm. in my nervous system, things were getting rewired, mm-hmm. connections were being made that weren't there, connections that were there were being broken and mm-hmm. I felt like like that energy was working on me. Uh, I think that that's a perfectly accurate description of the process. 
The energy works on you with an intelligence of its own, and this is why I so strongly think we should follow it and not try to control it or direct it. It knows where it needs to go. During my experience, it was as if I would go through these experiences such as you've just described, where it might be painful as the energy sought to unblock blocks, different blocks in the body. But, um, so I would talk to it. I think you can talk to your, I call it the beloved within or the kundalini. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And when the pain would get too intense, I would say, please, that's as much as I can take for now. Please back off and give me a rest. And it would. But then after a while, after I'd had a kind of respite, it would come back and would start all over on that place or another place. And it goes through your whole body. And each time, the the experience may be so unsettling that you think, you, you know, you think it's a real physical problem. You think you do. You're about to have a heart attack, or right. you do have something horribly wrong with your digestive system, or your eyes mm-hmm. are going out on you, because these right. can be terribly, terribly upsetting experiences. And then after a while, uh, it'll all subside. Mm-hmm. No, that's really matches my experience. I have had in meditation experiences where my heart was beating so hard and so fast mm-hmm. that I actually thought it was going to pop. Yeah, you thought you were having a heart attack, probably. Yeah, I did. I thought I was having a heart attack. Yeah, <laughs> you know, oh, I yeah, if that can happen. I was hooked up to electricity. That's right. <laughs> you were getting electrocuted. <laughs> that's what it felt like. Other times where my throat spontaneously opened and closed, you know, it would be almost like huh. gasping for air. Well, uh, those are classic, uh, you know, awakenings of the chakras, of the heart chakra and the throat chakra. Mm-hmm. And they were wanting to be open for you so the energies could flow freely. And when you're right. going through it, it's hard to believe all that. You think, I used to think, well, I got by the last one, but this is real. I don't care what the doctors say. This is real. I've got something. Because usually right. they can't find any physical basis. Right. No, that's that's on? great, and and I guess uh, one of the things that I find very subtle mm-hmm. and and interesting is, um, you know, in terms of what I would refer to as the first surrender, the the letting go, that's very obvious that you just let everything be as it is. You you literally mm-hmm. do nothing, um, and and in the second surrender, when the energy starts to move. Just like you said, you, you want to let it go. You want to let it happen. I can see how important it is to not control it. Yeah. And at the same time, I also see how you have to uh, be available for it. You, you, have you, to be, you definitely have to be available, and you have to allow it to happen. Right, you have to allow it. You can't, you can't you be detached allow. in the sense of, of disallowing. You, you, in no. a certain way, you have to... Allow yourself to be taken by those energies. That's right, and it is like being taken over by mm-hmm. something very strange and mysterious. But from my perspective, something that loves you very much. I was just reading a little bit about the Sufi way, and what they talked about was this presence has always been with you. It has always loved you, but you didn't know it. You didn't allow it to come in in this way 
And what yeah. happens with the Kundalini is that you become conscious. One way of expressing it is that the conscious becomes aware of the unconscious. That's been there all along, but you weren't aware of it. But this, mm. I think, is the dance of the atoms of yourself, your being. Right. And right. Uh, and what most people don't get a chance to discover is that's that's what's there at the ultimate level is joy and exaltation and mm-hmm. happiness and mm-hmm. pleasure and right. ecstasy and rapture. And I myself tend to believe, you know, there's there's much discussion about folks who do go into a state of rapture at the moment of death. And I think right. that that's the release. I'm hoping that that's a, the future of all of us. Not that we have to die to know it. And I, right. again, well, I'm biased, but I do think, I think this is the demonization of matter. I think it truly is. I think we are on a path to becoming the human divine. I don't think we're arranging it or orchestrating it. I think something else is arranging it and orchestrating it. Now, I may be totally wrong because we see all this chaos and disaster that's surrounding us and unfolding us, but... uh but nonetheless, I think the two things are going on at the same time. Mm. One is total destruction and one is total re- recreation. Right. But that's well, just my philosophy. No, I think that's, I would agree with you completely. And, uh, you know, this experience that I described to you of the white light awakening. Oh, yeah. You know, it happened during, it happened about 13 years ago during uh-huh. a six, six, a 60-day retreat. And in the middle of that retreat, you know, this kundalini experience occurred. I had times of constant consciousness. All kinds of things were happening. One time I, I had this experience of expansion, and, and at some point it was as if I was the whole cosmos. You know, I, looked, mm. I could look into my body, and all I saw were mm. stars and galaxies. Mm. And in that moment, I remembered like a, a vivid memory of being very young and the fact that I used to go into my parents' bathroom and look at my eyes in the mirror. And if I did that and I, I oriented myself a particular way, I would have that experience of, you know, cosmic consciousness. Wow. And then I would bring myself back down and then I would go about my little three-year-old business. And then one, I remembered very distinctly that one day I went in to do it, and I couldn't remember how to do it anymore. Once I remembered that, having this experience years later, I could see that there was a, there was a trail in my uh-huh. whole life uh-huh. in which I was trying to rediscover that experience again. To go into that state again. Beautiful. And if you want to know what I think about that childhood experience and your path, See, I am a believer that we bring in a great deal with our reincarnation. I think mm-hmm. what reincarnation reincarnates is not the physical body, certainly, and not the personal identity that we've developed on this earth. But what we do bring in is our energy body and many of the experiences that we may have had earlier in some other past life or in the interims between the lives. And I know that there's no way I could prove that to anybody. But that, but I can't help believing it. <laughs> right. So I right. think you came in with. A, 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 I think, if you want to know the truth, I think you had already undergone awakening in your past life or lives, and that you mm-hmm. have been 
directed to rediscover that your whole life and your childhood experience was a rediscovery. But then as you grew older, like many of us, you know, Wordsworth said, trailing clouds of glory, we come onto this earth. And you came in trailing clouds of glory. But then as we grow up and become more adult, a lot of those clouds disappear, and we have to then struggle to find that state again. That's just my immediate response to what you... But it's a beautiful story, just beautiful. And not many have ever had had that. Mm. Not many have had that. But it is a mystical, total total mystical experience, certainly. Yeah, and what, it's, what it left me with in relationship to some of the things you were saying is a deep conviction and sense that those energies that move me are heading toward... They, they are they are cosmic energies that are mm-hmm. awakening the whole cosmos to its existence. And right. that's wonderful. And that those you know those moments where I experience myself as the cosmos are kind of a glimpse of where where this universe is headed. I agree. I agree. And I think you're exceedingly fortunate that you've had those experiences. And you remember them. You know that it's possible. Mm-hmm. You know that it's possible because you've had it. Uh, so I think that's wondrous and beautiful. It's gorgeous. And, and then what's really fascinating to me is I'm aware that the experiences that I have had are are their experiences, certainly, and they're wonderful. And as you said, and 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 at the same time, when I'm working with people, I know that it's important for people to follow their own path. Yeah. Um, you know, to not to not think that some particular experience is somehow the right experience. Right. Or one that should be emulated. You know, Absolutely. To, you know, I want to use the experiences that I've had to inspire people about what's possible uh-huh. without creating, uh, you know, ideas that are false. Well, I think that's a wonderful attitude to have, and I think that people do appreciate hearing about uh, certain experiences that are beyond maybe their level of development at this point. But as you say, it inspires them to know that other things are possible. And I think you have, obviously, you have wonderful judgment as to how far to go or to what to uh, reveal to them. But uh, I think you have. I think you're right on target, because that's the one thing I've discovered. And I, through the blog, I hear for a good many, from a good many people, is that every path is different. Every path is unique, and it's that old saying that we all know: many paths up the mountain, but they all converge at the top. And mm-hmm. so there are many, many, many paths up the mountain, and and I continue to be amazed at how many there are. And how many right. kinds of experiences can come to people to awaken them and guide them? And I love that metaphor that there's many paths up the mountain, yeah. but they all lead to the top. Because it, it isn't even true that that some experience that you've had or that I've had necessarily will will have to be had by someone else in order oh, to get no. to the top. It, it's not uh, possible. <laughs> it's right. not even possible. Someone wrote to me and said, well, I read about your journey, and so now 
uh, please don't tell me what's going to happen next to me. <laughs> I just laughed. Right. I thought as if I knew. <laughs> there's, no, <laughs> there's no way you can predict what's going to happen in anybody's life, what's going to be next. Mm-hmm. It's all planned out. There's a planning committee somewhere else, elsewhere, right. planning committee, and they have they have the blueprint in their hands, not me. Mm, that's right. Mm-hmm. So, Dorothy, in, in conclusion, um, what – what kind of, um, you know, for the person who may be intrigued by this kind of energetic awakening, mm-hmm. uh, because I do think, you know, there are maybe mental awakenings and there are energetic awakenings. Mm-hmm. And and if, you know, I, f- I feel that my path was much more a cognitive awakening and that now I'm 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 getting intrigued by the energetic awakening. It's it's kind of uh backfilling. But what kind of general advice would you give to the person who's interested in this? Maybe a little intrigued but also uh intimidated well by it uh, uh in terms of how they how they can proceed to you know, well, at least begin to walk on the path of right. Kundalini. Yes, and and that's what I like about your approach, is it's a general introduction to to the whole path. Uh, well, I would say exactly what we've already been talking about: follow your own path. Uh, don't try to push it or rush in too too quickly, um, but prepare yourself for what might happen, even though it may be totally an act of grace. It may be that you'll do a lot of different things in meditation and practice and this, that, and the other, and nothing may happen energetically. That happens to some people. But I would say prepare yourself. First of all, deal with your psychological and emotional issues. And if you need uh, the counselor will help you, by all means, go to therapy. Work through your those issues and work through any other, even physical, try to keep your body in as good shape as you possibly can. And you don't have to do anything strenuous or terrible, but, you know, follow the rules. Don't waste your body with bad things, <laughs> you know, with addictions and, and things like that. Follow Just follow the rules of normal health and try to keep yourself as strong as you can. Uh, try some of the little early meditation practices those won't hurt you gentle meditation and then find and then find good teachers and what i have discovered is often there will be teachers around you might not want to become you know just totally subordinate followers but often these people will have something to offer to you and you will know what it is it'll be whatever you need at that moment and i'm not opposed to reading i think now kundalini is literally all over the internet you just punch in that word. There was no Internet when I had my awakening, but now you just punch in that word, and there are vast reservoirs of writings. But be a little skeptical as you read them because <clears throat> some of them are, way, I think, way in left field. So, And also be cautious about gurus because I myself think it's very dangerous to submit 100% 
to give your power away to another human being, even if they present themselves as a gift of God. We're not sure that we've, we've had too many experience with bad gurus to, to believe that. So proceed with caution, and uh, mm. and you will know what is right for you because your body will tell you. You'll know that it is, it is a gift of love, and that's, that's what all this is about, a gift of love. And if you had a little bit of negative stuff, don't worry. Probably it will turn into positive of its own. And then uh, the one other piece that, that I like for people who are just kind of, it is very helpful. Now, your teachers said don't cling to these experiences, but there is a human longing to share. And I find it's very helpful to find simply a spiritual buddy and to share with that buddy. And they can you can tell them you're what happened to you today, that the flowers spoke to you or the trees waved to you as you went by. And they can share theirs with you. And I found that very helpful. Because if you're totally bottled up and you have no one to tell, it can yet be a horribly lonely process. Horribly lonely. Right. It's beautiful that you say that because spiritual community is definitely something I feel is is really important for people. And, you know, that can look all different ways. Obviously, yeah. I lived inside a community, but... But like you said, even having spiritual friendships, which exactly. is actually a term I like very much. Yeah, uh, I love that. It's. I think it's. It's very, really very important uh, for people, and also just to share. I. I yeah, exactly. I make it a part of my work with people Good. to share both in, in the sense that you said through spiritual friendship, but also to share to share the, what wisdom and, and understanding you've gained in ways that mm-hmm. will be a benefit to others. Uh, yeah, well put. Well it's, put. It's, we need to raise the energy up, and it's going to take all of us to do it. I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, what was, I had one more. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there. well, I was given a, predict, a kind of prediction at the beginning of my experience, an inner prediction, and it said that it would, this would be an extremely lonely path at the beginning. And mm. it said then that as time went by, I would be able to meet more people on a similar path and be able to share more. And then it said this process would accelerate exponentially. And I don't know for sure if that is happening now or if we just hear more through the Internet. But to me, it's I, I bump into people who are having some kind of a kundalini experience practically almost every day. It's mm-hmm. it's uncanny. It's just uncanny. Uh, so uh, I feel that the process is speeding up, and it is spreading. It is, as they say, going viral. And that's what gives me great hope for the uh, transformation, you know, planetary transformation. I think that is a process that's being implemented on our planet. Well, that's beautiful, right. Dorothy. And if people want to find out more about you, uh, your website is, what is the URL? Uh, well, it's just uh, www and then Kundalini Splendor, spelled S-P-L-E-N-D-O-R, dot blogspot dot com. They can actually just type in my name on, on uh, Google, and it'll take them almost immediately to that. It'll show them the site. That's right. I've I've Googled you many times, and, and oh, you, your you. site comes up very quickly. Thank you. 
Well, Dorothy, this has been really wonderful. I want to thank you for your time. And, well, uh, thank you. It's been a great pleasure and a great honor. Well, thank you, and, and we'll stay in touch. And, I hope uh, that we do. I'd love to have more conversations def- in the future and hear more about you and your experiences with people and what you think is going on among us now. That's great. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Dorothy, and I'll be in touch soon. Okay, thank you.